Hey guys, I'm Mike, and welcome back to No Limits, the Thriller Podcast. I don't have Chris with me tonight, but I wanted to bring to you a very special interview with two authors, hot authors right now on the scene. They are just killing it. Brian Andrews and Jeff Wilson. Their new release, Dark Fall, has just come out, and it's the third book in the Shepherd series. If there is one series I am going to point people to right now to jump into, it's the Shepherd series. What they're doing with Jedediah Johnson, the Yarnell family, and this idea of spiritual warfare and what the fight against evil looks like on a personal, a cosmic, and now a global scale, it's unbelievable. And though it's rooted in the Christian tradition, that does not in any way isolate readers. And as you'll hear in this interview, it really does expand the reader base, and it makes thrillers accessible to an even wider audience, including how these books could be great subjects for a youth group. And I can't speak to many thrillers that can do that without it coming off as cheap or uh, didactic or it's, it's trying to proselytize in any way. Their thriller series cannot be any further from that. It's genuine. It's authentic. And as we talk about, it's about leadership and role modeling. What both our operators, but even the common people and a family, a, a broken family, what they can do, how they can contribute, and how the world of operations and tactical know-how is its not that far off from, from what they can do and need to do. And so the cohesion of the team, the relationships with family, and the maneuvering of the Dark One. So we have a villain with a capital V. It just, how do you fight that? And what can we learn about conventional warfare to fight that? But what can we learn about new methods, new technologies, and not only thinking outside the box, but loving outside the box as a way to counteract these dark forces. And so the Dark series, Dark Intercept is book number one. I'd absolutely recommend it. And now we have Dark Fall, the third book in the series. Today, that's the one we talk about in this interview. Now, I do have to warn you, I'll call them light spoilers ahead. If you're okay hearing about the book or the series generally, knowing what goes on, and getting a few name drops, there's absolutely no bombshell moments given away in this interview, so you're safe there. But if you truly do want to go into the series, and particularly Dark Fall, the new release, with an open mind before you read it, you might want to hit pause. But I know you'll come back, because this is one of those series you must have in your hands. Like I said, it's probably the number one series I'm going to recommend right now if somebody's asking, what should I read? It's that good. So come back here if you are concerned about very light spoilers and listen to us talk with Andrews and Wilson about Dark Fall. There's no heavy spoilers because I have not finished the book. I'm two-thirds of the way through. I'm 200, 250-plus pages in, and so I don't even know the exact ending. But the way it's set up, Something big is coming, so we're not going to reveal or spoil major moments like that. In terms of this book, I don't even know them. But you are going to hear some hints about what happens in the character's life over the first few books and throughout the series. So if you don't even want very light spoilers, not even the major ones, 
stay away and come back after you've read Dark Intercept, Dark Angel, and now book number three, Dark Fall. Today we welcome back, I believe, three-time guests on the No Limits podcast. Two very busy men. They've got three best-selling series going on at the same time. Welcome back, boys. It's Brian Andrews and Jeff Wilson. Great to be here, man. We love the show. Yeah, so let's just start right there. Big things happening right now for you guys in the Shepherd series. But I just finished Sons of Valor 2, which I know is uh, out for a little bit now. You've got Dempsey to pre-order for the coming months. How the heck do you guys do it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just, you know, I just crack the whip and Brian does all the work and I watch TV and, you know, that's how it works. <laughs> it's a, it's exciting to be this busy, I will tell you. It's a, it's a lot of work, but it's a, it's exciting. Jeff and I are proof of that old adage that if you put a monkey at a keyboard and you have enough time, a, a bestseller will emerge. You're going to get it, yeah. <laughs> Well, tell me, what are you guys enjoying most? Uh, we're here mostly to talk about Dark Fall with its release as of recording tomorrow. And you guys will probably hear this after it's been out a few days already. So what brings you joy? What's most exciting about working on these three series? Well, just in the in the short overview, 30,000 foot view, um, it's a dream come true to be able to do this full time, to work with your best friend, someone that you, you know, they're like with anyway because of our families uh, being close now and uh, get up every day and do this with someone you care about. Like what else is there in the world? So um, being able to do this stuff with Brian, being able to have uh, so many really cool fans that follow the books and now all the other stuff that we have going on. It's just, it's a blessing. It's a real joy. Yeah. And you know, you think about that. So many people spend, you know, their, a good portion of their professional career trying to figure out what do I want to do with myself. And uh, we're, we're blessed and fortunate to be able to have said, you know what, we made a couple of career pivots and, and now we're here and we're having the time of our lives. And we, we try to remind each other of that every day, you know, it's like, you know, we are living the dream, you know, this is our dream. So we're living the dream. And uh, you know, so we, we make it fun. We tease each other. We're, we're we talk smack. We, we do all the things that, you know, uh, keep it more than just a business, right? Jeff, like you mentioned our friendship, our friendship is a very important part of, I think of our recipe for success. We love doing this together, really. So. Yeah, that's for sure. That's a huge, a huge part of it. Like I, we both wrote separately, you know, we were both writers when we started uh, the Andrews and Wilson brand. And I think I speak for both of us when I say we both loved writing, but it wasn't like this, like it, it wasn't uh, nearly as fun as, as this has been. I will tell you that the biggest pitfall is, uh, and I feel guilty even admitting this, but there are times when I find myself falling into that pit of, oh man, it's so busy and we have this deadline and blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, we hoped and prayed for this for like a couple <laughs> of years. And, and uh, we have a problem that a lot of writers would, would give a kidney to have. So um, we just try to stay focused on the fact that this is really just uh, an awesome thing that we get to do, wake up and do something we love. So. Um, yeah, the friendship is the key to it. That's for sure. I love that. And though he's not here tonight, sounds much like, uh, Chris and my workflow getting this. Yeah, you've, said that, you've said that before <laughs> actually. And I, I love that. That really resonates with us maybe more than most, most authors that you talk to, because you know, we have the team thing going on. 
Is he a real person? I mean, <laughs> yeah, he's, he keeps talking. This isn't your imaginary friend, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we just have some different schedules. You know, you guys can take time during the day, but Chris, he has to put the kids to bed before right. he can yeah. hop no, on I the know. microphone. <laughs> We're teasing. We're just yeah. Although, what makes you know our relationship and work output a bit different is that you guys didn't say golf or beer. You would have to add that, or else you'd be missing a key part of what yeah. Chris and I do over here. So, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> well, we do want to jump into the Shepherd series, the release of Dark Fall. And that's another reason he's not with us. I am pushing, pushing Dark Intercept on him, but he, he hasn't gotten there yet. Uh, busy guy. But but like I do with Chris, most people, even on social media, when they're asking about what series to turn to next, boom, the Shepherd series is always one of the first on my mind. I it's so different. It's so unique. And so for anybody listening who doesn't know what the series is about and what you guys are doing with it, can you take us back to Dark Intercept just real quickly and tell us where you were coming from and why this particular type of thriller novel? Yeah, I mean, I think Dark Intercept was really exciting for us to write because, you know, you have Jedi Johnson, who's our typical military well, I wouldn't even say he's our typical. He is a male protagonist with military background. So that does fit the model of our of our other work. But, you know, we also really dove into some other hard questions. You know, you get into life questions in this series. We have a 13-year-old protagonist, Sarah Beth Yarnell. Um, her parents are both characters in the book. Jed has a history with Rachel, the mother, used to be his his high school flame. Um, and David was his best friend. And so we've got a lot of complex, you know, family issues on top of, you know, finding purpose. Uh, what's my expiration date in my job? What do I do after I separate from the Navy? Have I lost touch with, with God? Have I lost touch with my faith? What am I even doing with myself? All these types of questions uh, are entangled into the plot of Dark Intercept. So it, it is... I think it took us to a different place in our writing. Would you, would you agree with that Jeff? Yeah. And it's, you know, the word different is right and wrong. Like, I think that you know, we've, we've been on interviews where they're like, Oh, this huge pivot, this whole new thing that you're doing. And I, and I will say that while this is a very unique series for us, because it is, a, does have a little bit more emotional depth perhaps than some of the other work. Um, for us, it doesn't feel like a pivot. It doesn't feel different. It almost feels more like adding another layer to what we already do. You know what I mean? Like in Tier 1, in Sons of Valor, in the upcoming Sandbox series, in all the work we've done, really, we do try to drive things through character and relationship a little bit more than maybe some in our genre. Um, and so for us, adding things like, uh, you know, questions of faith and what do I believe about this? Um, having a broken character like we do in Jed, it wasn't a pivot as much as just adding an additional layer, more character, more relationship stuff that we could delve into to drive the plot. But at its heart, I mean, I feel like, and I, I'd love to hear what Brian thinks, I feel like it's still an Andrews and Wilson novel. It's a tier one novel. It's a Sons of Valor novel. There's some there's some killing bad guys. There's some, there's some <laughs> intrigue. And even uh, as you progress through the series, you get more and more into global geopolitical things. And so I feel like we sort of took what we do and just added a layer. Yeah. And I, but, and, and, and I guess my only side comment to that would be, I do think maybe that this book can appeal to 
an even broader range of potential readers, if that makes sense. Like, because, you know, sometimes we'll see reviews. We know that, I don't know, what is it, like 55% or 50, at least 50, 45, 45%. Well, it's close to half of our readers are women. Is that right, Jeff? Would you yep, say? that's been so far. So I think, like, we always will get comments. Well, I've never, from reviewers, I've never thought I would read a military thriller book like Sons of Hour Tier One, but I liked it, you know. I wasn't familiar with the acronyms, but that was okay. I, I got up to speed. I feel like this series, the Shepherd series, almost expands our range. You can really think this is a book that a whole family could read. You know, the mom, the dad, and the kids could read this book because um, I think it's appropriate for a range of ages. And I also think that, you know, I love Tier 1 and Sons of Hour. I do think there's – we try to be very thoughtful and put geopolitical topics in there. For discussion, but as far as like sitting around the dinner table and having a conversation, there's a lot more material, a lot more questions that we pose in Shepherd series than any other series to like maybe engender that you know. Hey, let's get everybody in the family reading. It's not just mom who who reads and then you know has doesn't have anybody to talk to about the book. I think everybody in the family could read this book. And yeah, it. I like I like that a lot, Brian, and that idea of expanding the demographic almost for a for a covert operations thriller. Because that it does have things that can be talked about, you know, questions of, you know, when you suffer a crisis, whether it's through military yeah. service or, you know, loss of a parent, a sick child, cancer diagnosis, whatever your crisis is, that inevitably part of the human experience is to look both inside and outside about what that means. What does that mean about the world I live in? What does that mean about, you know, is there or isn't there a God? If there is a God, what's his role in our universe? How does he let these things happen? You know, very common question in crisis. Um, and so while it's not uh, a preachy book by any stretch, those elements are in there and they are good conversation pieces, things about crisis. What do you believe about good and evil, the nature of good and evil? These are things that, you know, young adults, teenagers, parents, uh, friends, they can all have these conversations. So I would agree with that, Brian. There's a little broader demographic and there's a little bit more food for thought, right? Like when you're done, right. there's a conversation that could be had other than, man, Dempsey kicked some ass. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a little bit more there. I agree. I agree. Yeah, that's so true. Those layers are there when so many thrillers in the genre, the layers they build are the political intrigue or the military hierarchies. The layers you're building are personal and they're real and they're things operators I'm sure go through and all service members consider and reflect on it, particularly not, not just the good times, but the bad times. And you unabashedly go into it and you put the words in their mouths, uh, in the character's mouths where some other books might just, you'll have a funeral scene, you know, jerk some tears and we're kicking ass the next day again. <laughs> I feel like your writing has effects on people that are real. Yeah, and, and you you said you're you're like almost you're in the final stretch on this book. So you've read the you probably remember there's a chapter where Jed comes back from the Peru operation and he's not really expecting it, but you know Rachel's waiting on his doorstep. Oh yeah. And they have this really difficult conversation where it's the two of them are venting pent up things that they haven't said to each other in 15 years and they've been harboring these feelings and these ideas and, and in some cases assumptions and mis misassumptions right about each other and their motives and so th that's interesting i think a lot of times in relationships what happen is you make you make assumptions about 
what the other person is thinking about you or, and so you, you behave accordingly. And when those assumptions about them are wrong, then what happens is they start doing the same thing and they're not understanding your behavior doesn't make sense to them because they didn't, they don't have that assumption. They don't have that view. And so, you know, here we are in book three and you've had two, two full books where they should have had this conversation and have it. You know, we made you wait for it. And so that's what's fun about, I think, this series is that over time, you get to know your assumptions, I guess, about the characters might even be wrong, too. Yes. We're, we're, we're doing that in book four a little bit, too, right now with one of the characters. Yeah. Yeah, that scene, you're so right to point to it. And just to let everyone know, we are going to be mostly spoiler free right now. I've only read about two thirds of the book. I definitely know the scene you're talking about. But we will save a few minutes, perhaps at the end, to really dig in and reveal things. So you are safe uh, listening to this podcast, at least the the first half of it or so. We will give you a warning if we start talking about something more. But you're right, that conversation, I was thinking, how did they not talk about this already? It's been bubbling under the surface, and it's been guiding so many of their choices through three books. I feel like I was I was there with the characters because I knew both of them so well. Yet I, as a reader, I'm kind of like, I don't really know you all that well because you don't know each other well enough. You have to reveal this to one another. And those conversations get to another layer that I think a lot of other series don't get to. Or if they do get to, it's very strictly military things we've seen before. You know, like you're going on another deployment. When are you getting out? You know, this can be a totally different dimension that I don't know if other series are able to or prepared to get into. One of the other, I love that chapter too, for all those reasons. But another fun thing about that particular chapter was, uh, and this is something we do a lot in all of our series when we're when we're brainstorming stuff out or when we're in the in the heat of writing, something will come to us like, oh well, you know, what if the reader, what's the reader going to think about this, or is there a potential for mis misconception or whatever? And the way we always have tried to handle that is to instead of playing it down more, we actually bring it forward and to, the, and to the forefront. And one of the questions in this series that I think is any normal person, especially if they're a parent, is going to ask is how and why would I allow my child to participate in yes. some of the things that are going on, right? Yes. And so this was a really cool opportunity to show through a mother's eyes those, you know, in addition to the things that that we're referring to here with, with Jed and Rachel, her concerns for her daughter and what we should think about it. And we get Jed's perspective, who's not a parent. And so I think parents reading it are going to be just like we were writing. It's like, nothing you say matters, dude, because you don't have kids. Like, and don't we all do that, right? Like, I can only take what you say halfway seriously if you have not raised a child, uh, because there's so much emotional stake that you don't appreciate until you get there. And so that was fun in that chapter too, fleshing out by putting it right to the front. Why would you, why on earth? Well, do you remember, I remember we sort of had that conversation between ourselves and we were like almost, it was almost like we were pretending like we we're Dave and Rachel having this conversation. Like, well, why, why shouldn't we just cut bait and run? Right. You know, and we walked through that scenario. It's like, okay, well, you know, the dark ones found Sarah Beth already. So they can find her again. You know, are we going to be any more safe, just the three of us on the run, right. than we are in the organization? So yeah, the organization, the Shepherds and Watchers as a whole, 
are a bigger target, but then you have togetherness and you have each other, right? So it's like, I think that sort of almost, you know, not to get too archetypal, but it's like, you know, this is sort of what Americans, I think, feel like a lot of times. It's like, well, do I just like take my family and we insulate and, you know, pandemic, it's just all, all for ourselves and we run away. Do we run away to Montana? Do we run away and get away from all this? Or do we try to pull together with community and tackle this problem, even though it might be a little bit more challenging? And I think that's kind of the message of this book. Maybe this book or this series, we try to tackle some of the zeitgeist type of issues that we're all facing in this. It's a challenging time right now. And wouldn't you say also, that's a great lens to look at it through, but you can also more of a traditional thriller military uh, genre lens of offense and defense. Yeah. Another question is when you're fighting the dark one, the ultimate enemy, who's going to use very unconventional, you might say asymmetric warfare is a defensive posture, even tactically a good strategy. And through this network you've built up of Trinity loop and the community of St. George's and this trust between the adults, the teenagers and the preteens, because, you know, Corbin plays an important role as well, kind of yeah. in the middle there. If they all trust each other at all levels, let's go on the offensive. Let's tackle this head on. And that's the best form of defense, you know? Yeah. And isn't that a fun picture of what we do in our other thrillers too? the idea of team before self and, you know, Brian loves to loves to remind people, you know, one dude, no matter how smart, can't drive a you know, $6 billion submarine around and deploy it. One guy can't take down a small ISIS network somewhere in Syria. It's team and it requires trust like you're talking about. It requires uh, faith in each other. It requires a separation of, of labor and, you know, knowing that this guy's better for this, but I'm getting better for that. And so fleshing that out in a whole different model was really, really fun. We do. I'm, it's cool that you picked that up because we definitely – had that in mind as we developed the shepherds and yeah. the watchers and their relationship and all these pragmatic things we're talking about, right? Like, well, what's the best way to do it? What's the safest way to do it? But then the ability to pull that other thread through, like, you know, a little bit more of a spiritual thread, like, well, if I'm empowered with certain abilities, what's my obligation? What's my obligation to my fellow man? What's my obligation to God to use these gifts for good? If there really is this struggle of good versus evil, can I just go hide in Montana? Is that ethical? Is that moral if I've been entrusted with certain abilities? So we are able to get into lots and lots, like you said earlier, layers is the right word, lots of layers uh, with those kinds of things, both pragmatic, tactical, strategic, spiritual, emotional, like all of those things. It's a really fun series. Really, really fun. It's also one other layer or genre that I don't really think you could put into any other typical thriller. It's a coming of age story. You know, you can't write a, a, a teenage or preteen girl as a protagonist in the sense of they're on the op. You know, it may not be physically always, but they're on the op. They're in the mission. They're part of the team. And and another thing that happens in this book is the, you know, the the drawing room, the the pulling the plans together, d the debrief, right, where the team has to debrief. And you've got these kids in the fold. And, you know, so again, I'm thinking like a youth group, right? How many thrillers can you say would be good material to put in front of a youth group and, uh, and really parse apart? It's like, 
So Mitch Rapp does something badass and uh, slits a guy's throat. It's like, there's nothing there to really, you know, talk to it with, with that age group. Yet the scene where they're bringing in Corbin and Sarah Beth is like, what is going on? What, why am I in this meeting or why am I getting shown these things that are way above me as a, as a young girl? It just shows she's, she's needed her gifts and her talents and abilities are going to be cultivated. They're not going to be used or exploited in, in any sort of way. They're going to be welcomed and cultivated. And again, I love how the headmaster and everyone else keeps saying, obviously only with the parents permission, they're not going to go ahead and do these things without the family. It's just another way of exploring the community, not just in a side way. Like when the operators come home, we'll deal with the consequences of family, personal life, but they put them in in the debrief, which is really cool. Yeah. And, and you think about, I remember Jeff and I had this one conversation and he, he said something like, well, you know, I think Sarah Beth should be like chomping at the bit. She really wants to go like her, almost like her parents are holding her back. You know, she wants to do this. She's showing the initiative and courage. And I think that's right. You know, we, that's how we wrote her because there is this certain naivety at, in youth, but also coupled with that, maybe that naivety is a courage and a drive that you lose. Because as you get older, you start to become more fearful about loss, you know, risk taking and, and losing the stuff that you've gained. I remember, you know, when I first got out of business school, you know, I had spent basically every penny that I had. And we, my wife and I joked like we had enough money to rent the rider truck. To drive Ithaca back to Kansas City. And then, you know, if we didn't get a paycheck the next week, we'd be borrowing money. And, you know, but I remember when I first entered business like that, I wasn't afraid of failing because I didn't have anything to lose. It's like, okay, so if I fail, you know, I just start over and I try. And I think, you know, you see as a parent, David and Rachel, they don't want anything to happen to their little girl. That's their only kid. They're more risk averse. But with her and her own life, she's thinking, no, bring it on. I want I want to contribute. I want to be part of this team. So that's sort of fun. We play around with that. And that teaches Rachel something because she realizes I haven't used my gifts. And I don't want to say much more there, but that was really interesting how the mom is learning from the child. And that pushes her character arc. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Hard to get too much more into that, right? Without, without ruining, ruining well, and also when we were writing... Um, Rachel, both of us are writing her sort of angry. And I remember we were like, why is she angry? Mm. But, you know, this is the subconscious mind at work. And then it dawned on us. She's kind of angry because, number one, she has all those things that get off her chest, which we talked about earlier. But also, she's she's sitting around the house. You know, Sarah Beth's doing something important. David's now a TSL. What does she have to do? Right. Right. You know? She's just, am I supposed to just sit on the couch and wait and hope that you guys are okay, wait for you to come home? And that, again, that's so accessible to readers of this genre, because I'm sure many of your female readers have been in that position. And many of the male readers have had spouses or significant loved ones complain or ask them about that of like, what am I supposed to do in all this? And you tackle it, but it's just such a different way of approaching it, yet it's such an identifiable way, I, I would believe, for many of the readers. And then the other element with Rachel and Sarah Beth that is a, a maybe a more subtext, perhaps, or at least, at least that's how we envisioned it. It does flesh out a little bit, 
in this chapter that we've been referring to um, <laughs> this idea of like, you've got this, you've got this child. And on the one hand, you're just all about protecting her and being the mama bear and you're not going to let anyone take advantage of her. And then there's this subtext of, am I jealous of her? Like it's, <laughs> it's like this undercurrent of jealousy because she has been given opportunities for the gifts that she has that Rachel would have loved to have had at some point in her life, but she wasn't aware of it. Right. And so she feels like she missed opportunities to do something special and important. And then she hates herself for feeling that way. And again, we don't beat it over the head, but that little subtext there, that was kind of fun to play around with too. Right, Brian? Yeah. And I think that we've, we've thought about that even, you know, as we're working on book four, we've thought about that too. Like, it's important, I think, to incorporate those moments of our humanity because even if you're a good person and you're trying your best, that selfishness, that need for validation or that need for ego or that need to feel like, hey, I'm important too, is very real and it matters and, and we all can relate to that. And so we, we look for opportunities to find those in our characters, find those moments for them to be able to, I don't know, think about that themselves. Right. And I, th I think we're not only seeing that in the female characters, though that's what we're discussing. We see that in Jed. I feel like this was perhaps the least Jed-centric book so far that I've read in the series. And maybe that's adding the other cast of characters. Like in this one, Nisha becomes a... She, she comes into her own. You already loved her from the last book, but she really comes into her own. And I don't know how far I can go with that, but Gail is introduced, so... I like that you do add an element of a more traditional book, which will have a CIA liaison or, mm -hmm. or, you know, the spooks are in the background and, and you got to wonder are people who they really say they are. And you put that in with Gail's perspective and don't forget Maria in the background. Right. Detective Perez, <laughs> and Holy crap. Like is, is Jed purposefully taking a back seat? He's not in terms of the action, right? He's chasing that dude down to Peru and everything else, but do you think that's a consequence of something you were going for? Is that just my interpretation oh, no, or was that your, your idea? No, it's, it's highly intentional. Remember book one starts a little differently than most Andrews and Wilson books. And, and we talk about this a lot um, between each other and also on some of these interviews um, in, in almost all the books we write and in the classic, you know, thriller genre, you meet these operators, you meet the, the main character, the main protagonist, sort of at the peak of their career. They're at the top of their game. They're the, the baddest SEAL. They're the best CIA agent. They get better maybe even over uh, several books, but they're, they're bringing it, right? In Jed, we start this series with a guy who is the complete opposite of the classic hero uh, and even the classic Andrews and Wilson hero in that he's a broken dude, right? Like he's... He's physically broken and getting medically retired from the Navy prior to his 20 because of the injuries he sustained. He's emotionally broken because of the effects that has on him. Like he ran away from everything else in his life. You know, he cowardly ran to the SEALs, which seems like a paradox, right? So he's this courageous man who ran to this brave job to get away from things he was afraid of. But in the, in the doing, he left everything behind. So Emotionally broken because like, where do I go now? Like my whole identity is my brotherhood and I'm not going to be part of this team anymore. I have nothing else. And he's spiritually broken. He's struggling with these issues of this confrontation of evil he had in his youth and um, what, how, where he failed there. And what does that mean about his beliefs? And he just hasn't confronted that. And now he's got nothing but time to do it. So you start with this really broken dude 
which is weird, right? It's a little bit different from the classic, from the classic character arc. Um, and so that first book doesn't have a ton. There's very little military, classic military action. Mm -hmm. There's certainly, there's certainly plenty of action in the book as it moves along, but it's different from a classic Andrews and Wilson. But once we incorporate him back into a team, all those elements start to come back and you see a lot of it in part in book two, like you're talking about, and then more in book three. And so as you build team and it's not just one dude out there in the woods hunting for Sarah Beth anymore, right? it's inevitable that if you want to bring those characters off the page too, Jed's going to have to step back a little bit just from an, a craft and art standpoint, if you want to those people to grow and become real and their relationships meaningful. So yeah, definitely intentional, but out of necessity from the nature of the right. changing from book one through two and now book three. We're also going global. You, you know, you mentioned the uh, the search in the woods in book one, how local it felt. And then we get the new setting of Trinity Loop and whatnot in book two. And now we've gone international. I mean, and, and I think Jed and the team even questioned themselves of, what are we doing? This is not a, a usual, typical shepherd's mission. Yeah. We're in Hong Kong. We're in Peru. Not too many uh, thrillers I've seen in South America. So that was really neat. Or even, and this is a question for you. The opening was bold, having this indigenous uh, angle to things. And we know this is a religious book and we're inside the head of a missionary. How much do you want to play with this? I don't want to call it interfaith, but I really love, and it's it's right in the prologue, everybody, but this conversation between a missionary and an indigenous culture. And there were parts where they see eye to eye on something and they have different interpretations of it, but it seems like they can have a peaceable discussion around this. The rest of the world cannot right now in real life. How much did you want to go international and have a global scale now to what the shepherds? Oh, and then I think one of them mentions at one point our counterparts in India and China. And, <laughs> and now I'm like, wait, are there other shepherds? Are there interfaith <laughs> shepherds and international shepherds? Like, holy moly, are you trying to expand the brand a little bit here? I, I wouldn't say expand the brand, but for sure we want to tackle those hard questions. Like, why is it that uh, even even within the Christian faith, why is it that, uh, you know, if you're this faith, you're, you know, when you die, you get taken to the basement, put in a shoot and shot right off to hell from the perspective of this other denomination of what mm -hmm. should be a shared belief. Why is it that we have to agree on 100% of the things in terms of doctrine, in terms of style of worship, in terms of rules and, you know, things that we put on ourselves socially? If we're not in agreement, then the other person is wrong and going to hell. That's insane, right? That's just crazy. And so we, Definitely we're intentional in bringing that out, finding the common ground. If we believe there is one God, then every human on earth is his child, every one of us. He doesn't have favorites, right? Like, that's weird. Like, you know, when, when Jack is doing something wrong, I'm not sure why I used him as an example, Brian, but if Jack was doing something wrong, um, I don't love him less than his other brother and his sisters in that moment. He might be getting a different form of attention for a day, but... I don't love him less. And so that's sort of a, a really important theme that we want people to understand. You know, one of the hardest things to accept as a believer is that God loves that jackass just as much as he loves me. That's hard to, right? That, we all struggle with that, right? Well, that yeah. guy's doing it wrong. I bet God hates that. Well, maybe God doesn't hate it. Maybe you just yeah. hate it. And you should lighten <laughs> up and try to have a conversation and get to know your brothers and sisters on this on this earth. So uh, I'm glad you you keyed into that because it's a really important theme for us. This this craziness in our world where you are 
either 100% in agreement with me on all things faith and politics, or you're the enemy, that's going to be the destruction of mankind if we can't shake out of it. And so, yeah, we are intentional in bringing those things that we have in our characters like Nisha, just within the team of, of Joshua Bravo. This is a very eclectic group of guys and girls that come from various backgrounds. They have to come together with a shared purpose. That doesn't mean they have to come together with a completely black and white belief system that melds together perfectly. And so we're very intentional about making it not that way. Yeah, that's perfectly said. And we've asked a bunch of thriller writers who come on, particularly the type who are very tuned into this, Brad Thor, Kyle Mills. What do you see as the next big global threat? And in some ways, what you're pointing to, we're our very own threat, right. you know, whether it's social media and people are like artificial intelligence is going to dupe us. We're already duping ourselves. Let's see what happens on Tuesday this coming week. But um, hopefully, again, we can learn from what these characters are doing, how these characters are building community, building relationships. And I think you're proposing a worldview and a model in the book that we can all learn something from, even if you're right, we don't hundred percent have the same agreements or, or convictions that the characters have. We can still learn from them. Yeah. If every single character is the same as us, how boring is that? Right. You don't want to read it. Yeah. And I think for us, you know, one of the reasons that we write, if you get down to the nuts and bolts of why you want to be a storyteller, it's almost like these are opportunities for us to sort of, you know, almost benchmark, you know, like your own, how, how do you handle problems, right? It, it's, a, it's a laboratory almost for you to say, okay, you know, in this little microcosm where the two of us get to make all the rules, you know, how do people behave? You know, they have choices. And so we try with our protagonists to put them in morally compromising situations, stressful situations, and have them you know, make principle-based decisions to get out of them. Because that's what you face in the real world on a daily basis. And, you know, if you're not a person that likes to pick up nonfiction and read a book on leadership or read a book on self-improvement or development or, or morality or whatever, what are you learning from? Who are your, who are your models, you know? Is your model our politicians? I would argue that they're not very good role models, right now, you know? Are, are, is your model Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or billionaire, the billionaire class? I would argue they're not particularly good role models right now. So, you know, through entertainment, you pick up an Anderson Wilson's model, uh, a novel, and I would say that you find role models yeah. in the book. And that's intentional. We spend a lot, a lot of time thinking about that. You know, that's our contribution, our way of sharing some of our lessons learned leadership experiences in our lives is through, through the lives of these characters. And that's so poignant and maybe captured by the character of Ben Morvant. Mm -hmm. And over and over, Jed saying to himself, I wonder what Ben would have to say about that. Or <laughs> let me put that in the back of my back burner right now, but something to follow up with Ben about. It's like, we don't, we're not perfect. We don't have all the answers. Right. Even the tough guys like him are going to get nowhere if they just think they have, they know it all. He's really got to, and, and I assume that's very intentional because I think four or five times already in this book, he's done that where I got to follow up with Ben about this. I think it just shows the humility. Yeah. And, and that need to, you know, in, in special warfare, part of the creed in, in naval special warfare is that I will lead and follow. 
At every stage in our life, we're expected to be leaders and followers at the same time. At every stage in our life, we should be both mentors and mentees. We need someone that feeds into us to take us to whatever our next level is. And at the same time, we should be paying that forward by mentoring others. No matter what your job, this it might not be a career thing. It might be a personal thing. It might be giving back to a youth group or working with a school or coaching Little League, whatever it is. We really do need to focus on both receiving good mentorship and mentoring others. And if we're not doing that, then why are we here? Right? What's the point? Yeah. Well said. Dropping knowledge, dropping wisdom. <laughs> I thought he was teasing us, Brian, with that whole AI thing. I thought he knew something. Uh-oh. All right. Well, we get into that in another book. <laughs> okay. yeah, we have a book coming out next year called Sandbox, where we start to explore some of the AI stuff. So I didn't know. Okay. And we'll get you an advanced copy as soon as it's ready. Yeah. Hey, please do. Is it a standalone or does it fit into any of these series? It's a sep- it's a separate. It's a brand new project that uh, is Whew. yeah coming out next next fall. So does an Andrews and Wilson day have like forty eight hours in one? Is <laughs> it twenty four or how do you guys do that? <laughs> we have a special time machine. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> oh, which now you're referring to? No, never mind. <laughs> we can't announce. We can't announce that one yet. You know, that kind of stuff, uh, the, the latest Jack Carr book is still on my mind with uh, Alice, if, if either of you got into that. But uh, yeah, I think there's space in the Thrillerverse to explore, not not science fiction per se, but uh, what might seem fringe on the edges of technology and reality right now, that is really actually not all that fringe. Or we love, sooner we love that part. We love that yeah. world, the, the grounded sci-fi or near future speculative. I don't know. There's all kinds of different labels for it. But yeah. we've been spending over the last couple of years, we've actually spent quite a bit of time in that space. And over the next uh, 12 to 48 months, people are going to see a lot of that kind of stuff coming out from the Andrews and Wilson brand. So we're excited about that. Nice. Well, thanks for talking Dark Fall. I wanted to take a few minutes and, and ask you about Sons of Valor, too. I did oh. get around to it recently. I know it's been out for a while, but is there anything first you want to? Tell the audience about Dark Fall and it's recently released and and what you, you hope readers get out of this book. Well, we hope we hope it leaves readers with uh, with hope. You know, we, we built a lot, a pretty big, bad, evil <laughs> world for our characters to live in. And I think that this book, you, you are already aware from Tier One and Sons of Valor that we tend to write our books in three act structure and our series in three book trilogies, even if they have seven books in the series like like Tier One does. We tend to take our, our antagonists uh, out over several books because that's the real world. So there's gonna this is a fun book. It really is one of the biggest climaxes I think that we've written. You agree with that, Brian? I mean, it's an exciting climax, and a lot of questions will be answered, but there's definitely more to come. Okay. Yeah. Love that you've sufficiently teased me to <laughs> close my computer <laughs> over and get reading. Yeah, we like to say that this one's like our Return of the Jedi. You know, it's it's that big, that epic of an ending. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed that interview. These two gentlemen are a class act. They are some of the hottest in the business right now, absolutely on fire. And their work is elevated to another level that, man the Thrillerverse has not seen before. So check out Andrews and Wilson, the Shepherd series. And you heard me hint about Sons of Valor. Now, 
we did spend the last 15, 20 minutes or so talking about Sons of Valor 2. And that one is so good. I didn't want to put it into this episode. So we've got another episode coming out shortly where you will hear the rest of our conversation about Sons of Valor. So this one might have ended a little abruptly because I took off our chunk about Sons of Valor, their other series, which the second book had recently come out. I finally got around to it. It was so good, I could not let them off the interview without talking about it. It's just one of the best books I've read in a very long time. Oath of Loyalty in the Mitrap series has a big place in my heart. But I am not kidding. Sons of Valor 2 is definitely runner-up in my book for Book of the Year. It was incredible. It's their consent to kill. It's, in my opinion, it's them at the peak. They're writing relationship as a duo. And there's so much in that book. We even talk about the idea of a villain arc. How having your your protagonist have their own arc is very powerful. But what would it intentionally look like to focus on a villain's arc and put a lot of attention to detail into that over the course of two books? So... Get ready for the next episode. It's a shorter one where we talk about Sons of Valor. I kind of tacked it onto our interview today. And hopefully that inspires you to pick up Sons of Valor 1 and Sons of Valor 2. What an incredible series. These guys have so much going on and much to look forward to with their other series, a new book, Dempsey, in the Tier 1 series coming out early 2023. Promising things coming out of this pair. And like I said, a pure class act and two of the best in the business. If you haven't picked up their work, you are absolutely missing out. So tune in very soon for our interview about Sons of Valor 2. And of course, if you like what you're hearing, for less than the price of a novel a month, you can help support No Limits and what we do here at the podcast. Thanks to our patrons, we're able to cover basic podcast expenses And every penny after that is put towards Operation Paperback, a nonprofit that ships gently used books to troops and veterans. We and our patrons have already donated over 1,200 books in more than 50 different care packages. Of course, patrons also receive other perks, such as podcast stickers, custom bookmarks, monthly autographed book giveaways, and a 30% off code for the thrillerpod.com store to grab some of our gear. And not to mention access to the Thriller Podcast patron group chat, where we're always talking thrillers about what's coming up next on the pod or what we're currently reading. So go ahead if you'd like to support what we do here at No Limits and visit thrillerpod.com and click the Patreon page and the orange Support Us on Patreon button. Again, we want to thank our patrons, including our special operator, Sherry F., along with our special agents, Daryl, Kevin, George, Matt, Dawn, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, Mark, and Rod. Please subscribe, rate, and review using the Apple Podcast app or wherever you find your podcasts. You can find us online at thrillerpod.com or using the Twitter or Instagram handle, Thriller Podcast. And as always, keep the faith. Keep the faith.